0: are listening to the Bitter Medicine podcast on KWAC radio. Welcome to the Bitter Medicine podcast. Where it's all about Black empowerment. Our show focuses on Black news and entertainment, arts, science, economics, history people and strategies that uplift, empower, and motivate Africans within the diaspora. And now, your host, whose favorite color is black, Goku. Yes,
1: indeed. Welcome back to the Bitter Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Goku. Uh, In this episode, I'm going to do a Black Power review of The Five Bloods, the recent uh, Netflix film uh, from Spike Lee, directed by Spike Lee. I thought it was a a great film. Uh, Shout out to Delroy Lindo. Um, I, I hope that Black America and Black Society, period, really holds him up. Um, for his performance forget about whether white society gives him awards or not we need to hold him up for his performance and even Chadwick Boseman who doesn't have as big a part in it as you would think um, but still really well done stuff by everyone involved so let's get into the review and this review is going to hold spoilers okay and you know what, before I get into the review, let me give a shout out to all of the shows on KWAZ Radio.
0: This is DAX, you're to the Harsh Reality Podcast, providing you with social commentary
1: on the news affecting our community, only on KWAZ Radio. Peace family, this is Oni, inviting you to listen to the Pro-Black Perspective, where black problems are addressed with black solutions. Alright we're back Make sure to tune in to all of those shows uh, Especially the newest addition To the KWAZ Podcast Network That's the Queen's Council uh, Tune in to that sister's show we, We've we been wanting to have a, a sister On the Podcast Network for a minute And um, now we have one Make sure to support her And follow her on all social media And just Support all the shows on on the podcast network. There's something special being built here, and I I would like everyone who listens to me and my show to listen to all of the other shows as well. All right, the Five Bloods, Spike Lee film on Netflix was released on June twelfth, twenty twenty, and the movie is about four black men. Um, They're Vietnam vets. They're Around their 60s. Somewhere in their 60s. And the movie starts off with them meeting up. For a happy reunion. It's set in the present day. And they're meeting up for this happy reunion. At a hotel in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. These four black men are four of the five bloods. Right? Going back to the title of the film. The five bloods. Well these are four of them. They have returned to Vietnam to locate the remains of their fallen friend Stormin Norman, who was played by Chadwick Boseman in flashbacks. Along the way, we learn that one of the characters, whose name is Paul, um, Paul is is played by um, the brother Delroy Lindo. We realize that Paul suffers from post-traumatic syndrome, right, PTSD, and that he also personally blames himself for the death of their friend Norman. Now, we also learn pretty early on that the bloods, the remaining bloods, not only came to Vietnam some decades later after the Vietnam War um, to honor their pile but they've also come to bring his body back home and surprise surprise they've also come to recover a treasure of Vietnamese gold that they buried decades earlier during the war. So I'm gonna play a clip here where Norman discusses the use for the gold History of slavery, racism, reparations uh, Take a listen We bury it For now
2: They ask, we say the VC got it They don't We come back and collect And rip it off We ain't ripping off shit Who feel like they're ripping something off We was the very first people that died for this red, white, and blue Yeah, that's right It was a soul, brother Christmas addicts at the motherfucking Boston massacre. We've been dying for this country from the very get, hoping one day they'd give us our rightful place. All they give us was a foot up our black asses. But fuck that. I say the USA owe us. We built this bitch. So what you saying, blood? I'm saying we repossess this goal. Like they about to come repossess your cash, your now. <laughs> <laughs> we repossess this gold for every single black boot that never made it home. Every brother and sister stolen from Mother Africa to Jamestown, Virginia, way back in 1619. We give this gold to our people. You feel that? You feel it? Now, let's bury our goal. Reparations.
1: Bloods. 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 Now, you, you, you can't help but like Chadwick Boseman. I'm speaking generally, but specifically in this film, and again, he's not that big of a player in the film, but you have to like his character. The character that he plays. That character, Storm and Norman, is my type of dude. If everyone who went to fight for the U.S. had that mentality... That, you we're doing this for them for now. But we're going to use this experience, this opportunity to give back to our people. Then I wouldn't have as much of a problem... More commentary on this later. I wouldn't have as much of a problem... With black folks going into the U.S. military. Considering what the U.S. has done to black folks historically. So I really appreciate Storm and Norman in this film. And there's some, I mean, just some great acting and some great scenes, emotional scenes, involving Norman later in the film. But where was I? So like I said, the bloods. Um, In present day, went to Vietnam to honor their pal, Stormer Norman, who died during the war. They're there to recover his body, but not only that, we learn that they're there to recover this gold treasure that they buried. Uh, The back story quickly there was that the U.S. was paying off the Vietnamese who were aiding them in the war. Those Vietnamese people didn't want paper currency. They wanted gold, very smart of them. They wanted gold. And this CIA plane with this shipment of gold, a big briefcase full of gold bars, uh, was shot down and crashed. And their job, the, the Bloods, was to go and find the plane and retrieve the gold. Right? Since the gold didn't get to the people that the U.S. wanted to go to, their job was to go and retrieve it. Well, Storm and Norman said, fuck all of that. We we, we are going to keep this. We're going to bury it here. And uh, we'll come back later and retrieve it. And as it turns out, um, sometime during the war, or oh, just after, there was... That area where the plane was had been napalmed. And they lost... The coordinates they they couldn't find the plane again. The, the whole place had like a landslide, and um, even the uh, even the locations around them that they were using as as visual cues for for where this plane was they they lost those as well. So they went back sometime at the end of the war, just before they went back home, and they couldn't um, find it. They don't show you this in the in the film. They just tell you this in an exposition, right? So In present day now They're going back To smuggle this To find this gold And once you find this big Case full of gold bars You can't just walk through the airport with the shit You need to be able to smuggle the gold Out of the country So what the group ends up doing They enlist the help of One of the bloods One of the bloods uh, his name is Otis. And the guy who plays Otis does a great job too. You might remember him from The Wire. He was Lester on The Wire. And um, he had a relationship with Viet Cong, a Vietnamese woman, during his time in Vietnam. And I guess they remained cool over the years. So, you know, they kept in some kind of contact. So as he landed there, and they had drinks and stuff like that, they met their tall guide who was going to get them to the jungle, but not go with them in the jungle, this tall guy. Uh, he broke off and he went to find his old Vietnamese flame. Through her, she had associations with a French guy, uh, De Roche, who was played by, by Jean Renault. You, you might remember Jean Renault. What's that movie called? Uh, where well, he was uh, an assassin. Uh, was it the assassin? No. I forgot the name of the film now. It's a big-time film. I know we all, of a certain age, we all saw it. Natalie Portman is the little girl in the film. And um, and uh, he's a hitman, and he develops a relationship with her, blah, blah, blah. Great film. Great action film. Anyway, uh, the, the French associate de Roche, played by, by Jean Renault. Um, he's going to help them smuggle the gold into an offshore account. So that's his role. This white man is friends with this Vietnamese woman who is the ex-flame of Otis, one of the five bloods. There's more to that relationship, and I'll talk about that in a few. Now, as you heard, Norman wanted to use the money... To, to, to benefit the black community. But in present day, um, the group kind of argues whether to keep the gold or not, and they kind of settle on keeping it for themselves. But, you know, of course, this is a film, of course, once you do something like that, you know things are going to go bad. While trying to remind the group of what Storm and Norman wanted to do with the gold. Eddie, one of the Bloods, inadvertently steps onto a, a landmine that blows up and kills him. Now, for those of you who don't know, Vietnam in their forests, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of those mines still active in those forests, and it's it's advised that you don't go fucking around in those vietnamese forests out there because you might step on a mine and lose your life right no one ever really went out there to clear them up some of them over time have rusted on their duds if you step on it they might blow up but that's too much of a chance right and eddie not paying attention being uh, being passionate trying to get through to the group To remind them of what their fallen friend Storm and Norman wanted to do for the black community. Especially now, in these times, right? He's he's talking and walking backwards. And you just knew, you know, something was going to happen, right? And uh, he steps on a mine and is killed. Soon after that happens, uh, a group of gunmen show up demanding the gold. Paranoia sets in and Paul... Delroy Lindo, believes that the old Vietnamese flame and her French associate set them up. So now feeling betrayed and unwilling to trust anyone, Paul takes his share of the gold and heads out into the jungle alone. Now, I want to pause and say that there's other things going on and there's some other characters mixed in here but to me they aren't so important it's really the story of the five bloods that's really important to me um and you can you know when you watch the film you'll see you'll see what i'm saying if you haven't watched the film already you'll see what i'm saying in fact if you haven't watched the film why are you here because i'm giving away spoilers right um So I'm not really talking about these other fringe people too, too much. I'm just giving you a review, a general review of the show as it pertains to the five bloods, right? So anyway, like I said, Paul was paranoid. He figured the old Vietnamese flame set them up with the Frenchman. uh, Feeling betrayed and unwilling to trust anyone. Paul takes his share of the gold. Goes through the jungle alone. Already, right there, you know that's a bad idea. For the reason I stated earlier. Soon after he g- goes through the jungle, Paul loses his gold. After he's bit by a snake, that's also a problem with the jungles in Vietnam. He gets bitten by a snake, he falls down a hill, he loses his gold. So, remember, Paul suffers from PTSD. He, he has nightmares in his sleep. He barely sleeps. Uh, it seems like he, he sees images. He sees ghosts. And so while he's enraged, after falling down this hill, being bit by a snake, falling on the hill, losing his gold, he's like kind of storming through the jungle. And he has a vision of Stormer Norman. And such a well-done scene. Such a well done scene. If you saw the film in the comment section, I want you to talk about how you felt when you saw this scene. Such a well done scene. Paul has a vision of Norman, and Norman reminds him that he was the one who had actually killed him. Paul had killed Norman by mistake, right? Um, some Vietnamese, I think it was a Vietnamese woman, was crawling around um this little makeshift base that they had at at the site where the plane crashed so they were like in the fuselage of the plane and uh, this woman with a gun sneaks in and was sneaking up behind norman Um, paul gets startled turns around and fires a shot but he, he he kills her but he also hits norman right delroy delroy lindos character hits norman he hits this this woman and uh, both of them die. And that's really the ghost that he's been seeing. That's really the PTSD. That's why he blames himself for Norman's death. And the thing about it is he never tells the rest of the bloods what really happened. He just kind of goes back outside. They're under fire. He kind of goes back. And when Otis asks, I think it was Otis. When Otis asks him, where's Norman? He says, Norman didn't make it. So for all of these decades later, for all these decades, he's been holding on to the fact that he friendly fired and killed his friend Norman. And I think I think him and Norman were the closest ones in the group. So of course that's, you know, that's haunted him for some time. But just the scene of how they do it, how they reveal it, it's just so, it's touching. I know I sound kind of, kind of softy here right now, but I'm, I'm saying it was touching because, as you guys who saw it know, um, Storm and Norman, played by Chadwick Boseman, hugs him and holds him and tells him, it ain't nothing, it's no thing, Don't don't worry about this, you know, it was an accident, man, I love you. And and that's something we kind of need more in black society. Instead of gunning down one another and all this kind of stuff, sometimes we need to just come to one another and be like, yo, black man, it's all love. It's all love. Let's stop this, you know, this bickering beef. Let's stop this kind of PTSD that we we develop just in our community. You know what I mean? It was just well done. Man. Salute to 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 um, Spike Lee and them for that for this film in general for that scene in particular. So yeah, so Norman tells Paul, um, you know, that he should let go of his guilt. And if you're a story writer, if you read a lot of stories and you know about story arcs or. You study film, and like I do, both uh, books and film. You, you you know that this is happening for a reason, right? This is the journey, right? This is the journey, and, and this scene is setting up something bigger. You could kind of tell, but you're hoping. And, and I think that's one of the things about films that makes films good, too, is when they're really good is, you know, even though you kind of know what's coming, it's the journey how you get there. Good filmmakers, good writers, etc., they know how to take a a journey that you kind of know where you're going and make it so interesting, like raise the stakes and then just drop it on you in such a way that, you know, it's kind of emotional. So anyway, as it turns out, the French associate did set them up. And his men found Paul in the jungle, um, made him dig his own grave, and they killed him. Once he had that moment with Storm and Norman, his end was nigh. And you kind of knew that. But it's the way they, they get here, right? So... At this point now, including Storm and Norman, who died in Vietnam, um, three of the five Bloods are now dead. So Stormer Norman, Paul, and uh, the other brethren who two stepped on the um, Eddie, who stepped on the, the mine earlier. So three of them are dead. Only five. Only oh, sorry, two remain of the five. So now the Frenchman and his thugs. They catch up to the remaining bloods. The Frenchman tries to kill Otis. Remember, Otis is the blood who had the flame, the old flame in Vietnam, and this Frenchman is her associate. So the Frenchman tries to kill Otis, right? Now, why are they trying to kill these guys? Well, they're hunting down the gold, and they wanna take it for themselves. They're not trying to share it up with nobody, right? So now, again, there's only two of the firebloods remaining, Otis and Melvin. The Frenchman tries to kill Otis with a grenade. Melvin jumps on the grenade and saves Otis. And it's a great callback to an earlier scene. I didn't mention this because I'm not mentioning every detail of the film, right? But earlier in the scene, they were talking about um, a black man. In in a, in a in in one of the one of the first black men to die in war for America, throwing himself on a grenade. And Melvin, at the time when the story was being told earlier in the film, he was like, you know. And by the way, Melvin was also on the wire. He's your boy who says shit all the time in the wire. He was like, look, I ain't doing no bullshit like that. And so they pay that off later in the film here now, where Melvin actually jumps on the grenade to save Otis. I mean, you know, heavy stuff, right? Um, so there's a shootout, there's a gunfight between the Frenchman and Otis and a couple other people who who are along for the ride at this point. Um, Otis is about to be killed by the Frenchman, but. Paul's son, right? who had had also been along on the trip, I didn't mention him before, because he's a nice character, but again, I'm I'm focusing on the actual five bloods, I'm not focusing on their children so much. But Paul's son was along, in fact, I don't even remember his name right now, and um, he, from where he was, um, was able to shoot the Frenchman and kill him. In the end. Otis is the last of the five blood standing. Right. Again Otis was also on the wire. He was Lester on the wire. He's the one who had the Vietnamese ex-girlfriend. And she was the one who had the Frenchman as the associate. I'm just trying to show you all the, the, the links between all the people. So. Well, you know, without showing it, they Otis gets the money, uh, sorry, the gold out of there. Um, and he shares it up with people or movements that were held daily by the other blood. So in the end, Melvin's widow is given his share. Uh, Melvin was the one who threw himself in the grenade and died. Um, Eddie, the one who stepped on the landmine earlier in the film, has his share given to a Black Lives Matter organization. Um, Norman's remains were brought back by the military and he was finally buried where other, um, servicemen are buried. Otis visits his old Vietnamese flame before he goes back to the States, uh, and you realize that she didn't set them up. It was all the Frenchmen. She didn't set them up. So he goes back to her. And they, um, funny enough, and, and this was set up earlier in the film too. Um, but she had a daughter for Otis. So the Vietnamese chick, his old flame, had a daughter for Otis that he didn't know about. And so when he goes back, that's... You know, he learns about it early in the film. And then he goes back at the end of the film. And they're introduced uh, officially as father to daughter. And they begin to have a relationship. At least it's, it's you know, it's hinted that they're going to start a relationship. And that was the end of the film. Um, great acting the visuals were done well spike lee has fallen on how do i put this a formula for his film we we always knew spike lee had a certain style right but um he's in recent years he's fallen on this formula especially with the netflix stuff um she's gotta have it he had a formula for that show that was real nice. And it's it's something that if I were to start filming like a, a low-budget indie film. Something I've been thinking about too, by the way. Um, if I were to film it, I would kind of bite the style that Spike has right now. He does this stuff where, you know, a lot of his stuff is historical or has a lot of historical references. And so... He will cut the live action filming for archival footage, and where there's no archival footage, but just say so a photograph. He will just show the photograph and caption it. And, and the other thing he does now, the music that he uses, just hits. Just hit. There's a scene in the third act um, where they're having the gunfight. I think. It, might just be before the final gunfight where the Frenchman dies and Melvin throws himself in the grenade, where they play What's Going On a And I don't think I've ever heard What's Going On a Capella before. That's that Marvin Gaye hit song. And the way it hits, you know, you take the music out, the backing track out. And you could just hear what he's singing about. And that shit hits heavy. Again, if you've seen the film in the comment section, tell me if you agree that that scene where they're playing Marvin Gaye, what's going on? You know, we've seen what's going on played in a lot of Vietnam era TV shows and movies and stuff like that. But just playing it a cappella, just did something different If you agree with me Or even disagree with me Comment in, in down below in the comment section And uh, let me know your thoughts on that um, My personal commentary in this film Before I get to my personal commentary Let me play this clip What is about money?
2: Money is about war. Every time I walk out my front door See cops patrolling my neighborhood like it's some kind of police city. I can feel just how much I ain't worth Gave us something to believe in. A direction, a purpose. He taught us about black history when it wasn't really popular back then. Schooled us about drinking that anti commie Kool-Aid they were selling.
1: Yeah, he was our Malcolm and our Mark. Norm had a way of keeping us from going off You were no Tom
2: You was a bad mother Shut your mouth (laughs) Like Ali
3: This is the voice of Vietnam Broadcasting from Hanoi Capital of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam In Memphis, Tennessee, a white man assassinated Dr. Martin Luther King, who heroically opposed the cruel racial discrimination in the USA. Dr. King also opposed the U.S. war in Vietnam. Black GI, your government sent 600,000 troops to crush the rebellion. Your soul sister and soul brothers are enraged in over 122 cities. They kill them. Why you fight against us? So far away from where you are needed. Black GI. The South Vietnamese people are resolute against these fascist acts. Against Negroes who struggle for zero rights and freedom. Negroes are only 11% of the U.S. populations, but among troops here in Vietnam, you are 32%. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die or to be maimed for life without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions, Big Red 1, 2nd Battalion, 136th Regiment. Have a good day, gentlemen. Be safe.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, um... that's heavy, man. That's, uh, I think about it all the time. You know, the history of black folks fighting in these white folks' war, man. To be second class or less of a citizen, even in the barracks. (laughs) You would think going out here to kill other black people or so-called brown people or, or whoever... For the white man here in the U.S., you would think they at least have the decency to put you on equal footing. They did not. You would think like the knights in medieval um, Europe. When you came back home, you would have land and some riches and some titles. But you did not. And that's a hard thing for me to think about when I do think about this from time to time. I guess the 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 reason why black folks fought those wars starting in the Civil War and World War 1, etc. Um, you know, I guess they saw an opportunity what they thought was an opportunity to win the respect of their white neighbors and that's something that again I I cannot I can't stomach the idea that we thought we had to prove ourselves to these savages, man. You know, and we thought that stuff like this risking our lives and livelihood was an opportunity to win respect. I mean, it's just... I I just have to shake my head sometimes. It would have been one thing if they went into the war and said, you know what, I'll take the chance and I'll fight in this war, but... What I learned, right, what I w- learn about war, and, uh, military strategy, et cetera, I'm going to bring that back to the people and then actually do it when you come back. That would have been different, but these folks, these are American ancestors of us, um, oh, Americanized African ancestors of us, the in- the uh, formerly enslaved, you know, they really was trying to fight for for white acceptance. And that's sad to me. You know, they viewed the conflicts as an opportunity to prove their loyalty, patriotism, and worthiness for equal treatment in the United States. And we see the descendants of those enslaved here doing that today too. And I'm here to tell you, you're doing it for the same results that guys like the five bloods we're talking about. Fighting and dying and spilling blood and building a country and not getting the respect. Yeah, nothing's going to change about that. Nothing's going to change about that. and I'm just, I'm just telling you. It's not going to change. And the sad part of that is if you keep thinking that you're going to create some change in that arena... You, you'll never be free. You'll be the donkey chasing the carrot dangling from a stick. You'll just be a donkey. You know, and we got to be real about that. So a little history lesson. Instead of turning blacks away from, from um, joining the military, the draft boards were doing all they could to bring blacks into service. The Southern draft boards in America, in particular, like in Georgia, um, they discharge 44% of white registrants on physical grounds and exempting only 3% of black registrants based on the same requirements. Think about that. There's a loophole to get out of fighting. Your president is one of these people they kind of, and they, they actually crack a joke about that in this film right if you're flat footed or some shit you, you, you can't fight for example and so when you look at the south most of those white boys 44% of them were sent home on the grounds that they had this physical thing that you know that made them exempt from fighting Whereas, you had black folks who had the same situations going on. Only 3% of them were sent home. I once read that even the postal workers were in on some shit. Like, the postal workers in the South would deliberately withhold um, the registration cards of eligible black men. You know why they did that? Because in World War I, the, dra- uh, the draft was implemented. Selective services. Because they didn't have enough people volunteering to go and fight. So what they would do with the draft after World War I, they would send out these registration cards to eligible black men. The southern postal workers, who were white, would deliberately withhold the cards, you know why? So that the black men could be seen as draft dodgers and arrested. This is the country that you've been fighting for. This is the hopes of you being seen as equal and patriotic and all this old stuff. These dudes was hiding your registration card, so that they could say, oh, these Negroes are dodging the draft, lock them up. Black men, who had farms, who had families, tended to be drafted more than single white men, who were similarly farmers. In fact, sometimes, in fact, Black men were were drafted more than single white dudes who were the employees of large farmers. So a, a black man who owns and runs a farm was more likely to be drafted, taken away from his livelihood than a white boy who was working for a dude who owned a farm. Imagine that. As the film mentioned, black folks only comprise about 10% of the entire United States population. But was something like 30%, I believe, of the inductees into the military. Somewhere between 30 or 13, I can't remember. But think about that. These guys have you in a game. They have you in a game to go out there and fight their war and die. And what's the steam that's powering your engine? Inclusion. Respect. They took advantage of you. As soon as you came home, you were in a police state in your own community. Whereas you should have been heralded. You came back home to be a second class or less, citizen of the United States. That almost brings tears to me, man. To see that you put your life on the line for the enslaver, hoping hoping that some morality within them would make them do better by you, didn't happen. And you know what's funny, and this film touched on it a little bit there. Um, when they, you know, the guys, the Five Bloods, learned that MLK was assassinated. You know, the sad thing is, and, and in fact this film starts off with uh, that clip that you see, that I'm sure you've seen, where Muhammad Ali is talking about, why should I go over and fight these Vietnamese? They never call me nigger. They never lynched me, right? There was a lot of black opposition to the Vietnam War. Uh, Malcolm X was one of the first people to talk about that, and then everyone else followed him. MLK followed Malcolm X, and and MLK took the stance of, look, blacks should not fight in Vietnam for the white man's freedom until all Negroes are free in places like Mississippi. It was obvious to the people, to black people at the time, that the burden of the conflict in Vietnam was borne disproportionately by African Americans and working class and poor whites. But largely it was black people who were eating the suffering from the Vietnamese war. It was the black folks who were being sent out to fight disproportionately, as I mentioned before, over whites, and they were the ones dying. Do you know that 64% of all eligible African-Americans were drafted? Only 31% of eligible whites were? That means that your communities, your your 10% of the total US population, your communities were devastated Who didn't die came back with PTSD and mentally fucked up. That hit wasn't felt so hard in the white community. Man, it's crazy, man. It's crazy what black folks have gone through and some of the stuff that black folks put themselves through. As Malcolm X pointed out, the casualty rate... For blacks was twice that of whites. You know, you were dying twice as much as because there was more of you out there, and they was putting y'all on the front lines. That's why when I watch certain films and I see they show white guys on the front lines, storming Normandy and all that kind of stuff, like I I question that stuff because I I I know that once blacks were in in these um these um. These armies and stuff like that they were putting them out there. You know. And I guess maybe for World War 1 not as much, but after World War 1, especially the, like the Vietnamese war and stuff, black folks are the ones out there in the front lines, dying twice as much as white folks. So anyway, Martin Luther King took a, a strong public stand against the war. He stated that black leaders could not become blind to the rest of the world's issues while engaged solely in problems of domestic race relations. And I... I get where MLK was coming from with that. You don't want to be a hypocrite. But sometimes you got to focus on you. You get what I'm saying? You, you, you can't save everybody. And if it's between me and you, I'm, I'm going to save me. And mine And so... You know, black folks really need to focus on themselves. I see a lot of black folks today will champion every, every motherfucker's cause. You're worrying about Palestinians. I'm saying Palestinians come to America, they'll call you a nigga. And call the cops on you and have you killed out here and all this old shit. Like, focus on yourself. Martin Luther King understood that the massive military spending on the war in Vietnam meant that the nation had fewer resources available to attack domestic poverty, illiteracy, and unemployment and If you know in king's you know last years last few years, that was really his thing. he was He was waging a war against poverty. Um, If you ever have a chance, look up a documentary. It might be on YouTube called I Am A Man. Which talks about King's involvement with um, some sanitation workers. And um, trying to get them equal pay and better protections as employees, etc. You know, that was kind of his thing. And, And during this time, once the Vietnam War hit... King was not very liked amongst black people, and he definitely wasn't liked amongst the U.S. population in general. Once he started speaking out against the war and he started focusing on, um, you know, I, 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 you know, focusing on being anti-capitalist, that was it for him. And a lot of black folks today are carrying on this thought of kings, of being the anti-capitalist, you know, blaming capitalism for oppression, etc., etc. As a matter of fact, go listen to Onita say from a pro-black perspective. He recently did a, a show. Um, you can find him on YouTube as well. He did an episode um, talking about Black Wall Street and, and kind of talking about how it doesn't make sense for you to say you're yeah, anti-capitalists. At least this is my interpretation. You know, how can you say anti-capitalists but Black Wall Street was a show of black capitalism? In fact, one of the questions he asked was well, who were who were they oppressing? Right? If capitalism is just this thing that's about oppression and, uh, you know, earning off of oppression well, who were the who was black Wall Street oppressing? You've, if you've listened to my show since the beginning, you know I've talked about this in the past. Like, look, man, capitalism, I get it. Capitalism is, can be ugly because, like the Bible would say, you threw pearls to swine. Once these white folks, these savages got a, uh, their hands on this compensation system, they just turned it to shit. But if I work, I should be compensated. If I innovate, if I create an app today that changes the way people do things, I should be compensated. Even if I make the app free. The advertisements I sell in the app is my compensation. Right? But when you throw pearls to swine, they will muck it up. And that's what they've kind of done with cap- Capitalism is this shit now where... I get it, they put profits over people. You black man, black woman, you don't have to do that. You don't have to put profits over your people. But you can still practice it. In fact, as you've heard me say before, I think the best thing you can do is be better capitalist. That's the game that you're in. Either you're going to play the game or you're going to lose. If you play Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers or something, and you don't move Mario across the screen, what happens to it? He dies. You could protest Super Mario all you want. If you don't move that character across the screen, make him jump over shit, hit blocks and all that kind of stuff, he stands up there long enough, he dies. Either time runs out on him, or something comes up there and hits him and he dies. You got to become better players. Stop complaining about the game. So, you know, when it comes to that Vietnam War, man, King saw it as an opportunity to link the oppression of the poor to the global oppressiveness of capitalism as what was seen. In the action between the U.S. and Southeast Asia. And you know I. I had my issues with King at times. time. Uh, He was a pacifist. In the face of people who weren't. Who didn't respect that. You know King and them guys would get suited and booted. To go and get their ass handed to them. Bitten by dogs. the, The... the fire stations turn on hoses, and I mean, po- police just beating them with batons and all this kind of stuff. And then they'll go shake that off and go back tomorrow and do the same thing. Nah, that's that kind of good trouble I'm, I'm good on. I'm, I'm not into that kind of stuff. I'm not into trying to fit in with these folks. I'm not into trying to prove myself to these folks. Meanwhile, these folks are. They ain't trying to prove themselves to nothing. They're bowing out. They're finding all kind of workarounds. Going to Army Reserve, that's a workaround. To going to active combat. Uh, The National Guard was a workaround. You know, claim that you had some medical condition, that was a workaround. Them guys are pulling all kind of workarounds. In fact, the the government itself is pulling all kind of workarounds so that not too many of them are are going to this war and dying. Vietnam was one of the worst wars ever fought. Vietnam was one of the most gruesome and grueling wars I've ever fought, and they bowed out of that shit. They sent your black asses out there. And today, a lot of black folks are still going into these people's military service, and you're not getting much of anything out of it. You're not getting much of anything out of it. So, the Five Bloods highlights a lot of this stuff. That actually happened with the Vietnam War, what was going on with civil rights and some of our civil rights leaders at the time. Um, it, it just it just puts it right there in your face how messed up it was that we were fighting these wars and not getting anything. Uh, meanwhile, our people in the states here were suffering. Being abused and brutalized. It, it's its, it's just—it's all there in this film. It's a well acted film. There's one interesting thing about the film. That I, I think I spot. At the end of the film. There's a little montage. And they show the five bloods. Because remember Delroy Lindo. Them are some older dudes now. They're not young dudes. And they show their age in this film. But for some reason. In the flashbacks. They use Delroy, Lindo, and and the rest as they look today, right? Older dudes, gray hair and stuff. And I, I have a feeling that, and you guys, again, in the comment section can tell me if you think this is true or not. I have a feeling that the film was meant to de-age them in the past so that they looked closer to Chadwick Boseman's age. Because at the end of the film during this at the end of this montage, they show them de-aged and looking young like they would have looked decades ago in the Vietnam in the Vietnam War. Because remember, you're talking about if they show you that Mal uh that Martin Luther King was assassinated, you're talking mid to late sixties, right? And so they can't look the same way in 2020. So I think that there was a budget issue. They meant to de-age those dudes in and in those scenes in the past, but maybe because of budget issues, they didn't have the budget to do it. I mean, it still works, but it's kind of weird to me that they would have kept them looking the same age in the past as they do today. And I think it's a budget thing. You guys in the comment section let me know if you think that's feasible or not. And also in the comment section, just let me know in general what did you think of the film. Okay, um, that's it for me. Make sure you like and subscribe and follow um, all our social media, our YouTube, etc. Make sure you do the same for all the other shows I talked about earlier on the KWAZ Podcast Network. Um, you know, make sure you do those things. Support them. You want black voices that are that are well adjusted, balanced, right? Um, that can be analytical, you know, that can be soft hearted. You you, you you want that. This is what you want. So make sure to support everyone, make sure to follow everyone, make sure to follow me for when I put up new episodes, okay? Thanks for listening. This has been the Bitter Medicine Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bitter Medicine Podcast with your host, Koku. If you like what you just heard, we hope you pass along our web address, bittermedicineblogs.com, to your friends and colleagues, and share our show to all your social media. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. This has been a KWAZ Radio production. Join us next time for another session of the Beta Medicine Podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Beta Medicine Show, Twitter, Beta Meds, Tumblr, Beta Meds, Instagram, Beta Medicine.